the most important thing i think for organizations to take that step back to understand how do we set up these people for success build some structured mechanisms around it whether that's training programs that they should undergo let's say in the first one month to having regular check-ins with them and not by hr but by you as a manager taking the time to sit down with them to understand how are they feeling what are they feeling Hi everyone and welcome to the Career Uninterrupted podcast. A place where we sit with some of the best and brightest minds to explore the changing landscape of careers and what this means for the future of work. I'm your host Lochan Narayanan, founder and CEO of Off Experiences, a pioneering platform that equips and enables mid-career professionals to thrive through career transitions. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Uninterrupted. I'm your host Lochan Narayanan, founder and CEO of Off Experiences. Our guest for today is Mrinalini Purkaista. Mrinalini is a HR professional with over 13 plus years of experience in the HR world. She has years of experience in program management, she's a DEI expert and also Google's I am remarkable facilitator. She's currently a lead transformation and tech excellence at Airbnb. We invited Nrinalini here today because she's someone who's extremely passionate about the DEI space and we are very excited to have her here so that we can explore this in depth and what has her work been in the DEI space along with exploring what is happening in the corporate world around that. So thank you Nrinalini, thank you for being available and taking time out to do this. Thank you so much, uh, Lochan, for inviting me. Like you already mentioned, I'm a big advocate of DEI and extremely passionate about it. So, anytime somebody reaches out to me asking for, you know, my, let's say, not so expert opinion, uh, I'm always happy to come and talk about what I feel about this space. So, thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure, and and really excited to have you here. So, before we jump into some of those questions and topics, etc. just maybe a quick walk through of your life and career and also what really got your interest in the dei space and uh, what kind of work have you done in that if you could just maybe walk us through that so that the audience can listen to it and understand the space you're coming from sure like you mentioned lochan i come with almost a decade of experience in program management mostly in roles across hr and business operations in all of those roles i was seeing dei manifest itself in many ways whether that was empowering a fellow colleague whether it was empowering my, myself or even somebody who i was in touch with let's say on a personal level as well who i thought needed that voice so for me dei in in sort of that way over the years has really manifested very strongly for me in multiple you know walks of my life so that's that's what makes me very passionate about dei and like i said i contribute very actively in both my personal as well as my professional life to this space and um, i think some of it probably comes from also having understood this space very deeply when i was pursuing my education i have a bachelor's degree in psychology sociology and economics and uh, i have a double masters in sociology and human rights and in in doing all of those things i think um, it was hard to ignore some of the stark realities and things that were happening in front of you and that kind of piqued my interest in the space for example very early on in in my college life i had friends who were a part of the queer community and um, back in the day we we didn't really speak very openly about homosexuality about the queer community but you know to me these were my friends so they were not any different from any of the other people that i had in my life but for me it was very difficult to understand why these people were being treated so differently if i had a right to certain things why didn't they have the same set of rights or why could they not be their authentic self and come out openly as a gay or a lesbian or any other queer you know any other identity that you had and why that that discrimination was happening and so i very extensively started picking topics which were speaking to this and i started writing and researching essays which were largely talking about the queer community back in the day in the hope of building that awareness and of course life gets in the way and you come into the corporate space but then it kind of started manifesting itself in many ways at work as well 
little bit of background. I actually always thought that I came from a slightly privileged background. I, I always call that out. And the reason for that is I have certain opinions in life and that could perhaps be sort of function of the life that I've had. And so it may come across as privilege sometimes to the others, but to me, in my mind, it just feels like these are the most basic things that we should openly be talking about. So growing up, I was always very lucky, you know, to have parents who taught me to push my boundaries, you know, look beyond my limitations and really achieve what I set myself to do. Uh, and so in doing so, I kind of equipped myself to pick up a path very freely towards an education that I wanted and also a career. I had parents who were extremely supportive of that. and I. Until up until that point in life, I felt extremely privileged because I had friends around me who were pushed into doing, for example, subjects or things in life that they didn't want to. And here I was totally basking in the glory of how amazing my parents are and the opportunities that, you know, they equipped me with. And then comes the corporate sector where I realized that my bubble burst and in, in a very rude manner, because even a decade back, we did not see as many women in the in the workspace as we do now. Right. And diversity at that time didn't meet anything other than female representation in the works. Uh, we didn't understand what that, you know, th that term meant. And so in those days, it everything just revolved around how do we empower the women in the workplace? You know, and so that kind of for me necessitated that conscious decision to start grooming myself, to start telling myself that I've lived a certain life where I always had the freedom to be able to talk openly about the things that I feel. And I'm suddenly in a space where I'm, I don't always have that freedom. So I need to start grooming myself to find that voice at the table. The other thing that my corporate career over the years has taught me is that not only will you ac acknowledge the differences that you have, but you'll also accept them, you know? And again, it's just something, it's like all kinds make the world, right? So if, if we really want the world to be a safe and a happy place, then we have to learn to acknowledge those differences and, you know, and just acknowledging them is just good intentions, but also what do you do with accepting those differences? You know, whether it was someone with a different sexual orientation than mine or somebody who's had a different background growing up, but is coming into the same space as me, how can I equip them or maybe empowering a fellow woman colleague? So these two or three experiences in my life is what really started making me believe in the DEI space even before it became a big corporate term like we use it today. Awesome. You know, that sounds interesting. And, and I think a lot of us who started our journeys, you know, a few decades back probably have stumbled upon DEI as a natural, you know, process. And I wouldn't say as a, you know, not out, not because there was no choice, but it was purely out of that fact that I come from maybe, you know, like you said, I also come from a slightly more privileged space where I had a choice. A, I had a choice to education of what I wanted, how I wanted. I wanted to go out and study. I wanted to live on my own and study. And none of those were questions raised, even an eyebrow raised or said why, but given me the choice to do so. But uh, when you reach the corporate role, you're right, you know, your bubble bursts, you see the world and you start realizing that this is not the reality of the world. And, and there is so much more there. So, you know, just th that just brings me to the point of saying somebody who has been in the HR space as a, you know, uh, worked in the talent management space, worked in the HR space, worked in all of these. You said that DEI was, of course, not a term very well used, like not even known like 10 years ago. And I distinctly remember this. I know I might sound uh, funny, but, you know, I was told when once I was trying to hire uh, people in my team and I told somebody in the recruitment team that I want a diversity candidate. And that person said, why? You already have like all women in your team. I said, yes, that's why I want a guy in the team. You know, so, so that's where we were saying, okay, that's where we were. And from there to talking about diversity from all of these so what the, the world seems to have changed, but what are some of the trends that are emerging when it comes to the DEI space? What are you noticing? What are you observing? Would you want to shed some light on that? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest uh, sort of uh, shift in uh, perspective that I've seen is from considering diversity as just a term for better representation of women to actually diversity becoming an umbrella term today. For many underrepresented groups, whether that's the LGBTQ community, whether that's people with disabilities, whether that's military veterans, 
you know, anybody who is underrepresented today falls under the umbrella term of diversity. And it's not just something which has picked up. It's something that people are also increasingly becoming cognizant of. Because diversity today, in certain ways, in my mind, also plays right to the gallery where you actually benefit from even hiring diversity candidates. Because let's say you are in a space where you're mostly hiring specialists who are let's say men or just women, today there are more people who are out and open, uh, especially when it comes to their sexual orientations. You have access to that talent pool as well, if only you would open your mind. Uh, these are people who come with engineering degrees, just like the rest of you know the uh, people in that, let's say, population. But we are probably not open enough earlier to hire them. But today we are open about talking about it. We're open about hiring them. For me, there are a few things that have really stood out in the last two years. One of the things is that I think COVID somewhere pushed us to start working from home. And while in the initial days, it seemed like something that most organizations would not be able to do, everybody went on to do that very successfully for the next two, two and a half years. And of course, after the whole pandemic sort of reached a point where we were no longer afraid of it, we started calling people back into office. But that's where there are two things that happen. One is there are also people who decided to go back into office because the work from home monotony was kicking in. But there was a much larger section of people who preferred to work from home. Because in those two years, not only did we discover that we can perform to the same level that we did when we were in office, I could also balance it with my personal commitments. And so one of the biggest trends for me that have stood out today is that that flexibility a lot of organizations give as part of their work from home policy. You know, it not only enables you to perform or give your best at work, but at the same time, you have personal commitments like, let's say, taking care of an ailing parent or you have a pet at home. And I say pet because even that's a big thing today, right? I can't just leave my pet at home and walk out. So I have the opportunity to do that or just being there for my kids more. You know, in terms of their education, their schooling, etc. Because as working parents, I think I'm sure it's very difficult to manage both at the same time. And work from home has given that flexibility. So while I've seen a lot of organizations who've mandated having their employees come back into office a few times a week, there are a lot of other organizations who've made it a completely remote-only work setup. And so while they might still have offices and they would let you come into work if you wanted to, you would still have the flexibility to pick when you want to work from home. And then you want to go into office. So for me, that's one top trend that has really stuck out. And I, I really appreciate organizations today that understand bringing in that balance between work and personal lives. Because working in office also sometimes, you, you know, some of these lines are very blurred. Uh, going into office and, you know, uh, taking care of your personal lives. The other thing also that um, I think for me has stood out. And again, this is something I really appreciate because, again, big advocate is mental health and wellness. So uh, while organizations earlier would also give you those opportunities where you could avail of counseling services, I think um, that entire spectrum has become slightly broader. So it's not just employees today, but their families as well. So th there are these, uh, you know, uh, big wellness allowances that a lot of organizations give you. It could be something as simple as going for a spa because I've had a really difficult week to, you know, encouraging you to become healthier by uh, availing gym memberships, etc., or even mental health apps, which today tie up with corporate organizations. And they actually fund it completely for their employees to be able to get that help that they need. In fact, one of the biggest changes I've seen in this space is insurance policies in many organizations today, which allow inclusion of same-sex partners or even uh, funding sex change surgeries for, uh, you know, a lot of employees. So that, again, is a trend that, you know, for me, really sort of is out there. And I have seen a lot of organizations being very intentional about it. So it's not just something that they're doing optically, but something that they're very intentional about doing because they don't want to lose that workforce. And they don't want to lose it because they are very accepting of who these people are in the first place. So I've seen a lot of organizations do that as well. But the world today is becoming a space where more and more people are becoming comfortable of doing that. And while I agree that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space, I still think that this is a good start. You know, in one of my organizations that I used to work for, in any global meeting, we would start by calling out our pronouns first. And I thought that was great practice. And 
if if that was not enough to make sure that everybody felt included assuming that i could have a visually impaired or a hearing impaired person on my screen especially if they are visually impaired person i would also call out whether i'm a brown or a caucasian what does my background look like what color hair do i have is it long is it short so that somebody who cannot see me but at least can sort of visualize who is this person speaking on the screen so i i always appreciated some of those because i felt like everybody then becomes a part of that organization it just means that no matter who you are or where you come from you have a place in that organization there's one more uh, trend that i think is picking up a lot which is accessibility the accessibility is becoming a big charter in dei visions nowadays with a lot of organizations because people have started hiring people with disabilities in their organizations whether that's somebody who's visually impaired or hearing impaired there are so many things that are happening today for example there are screen readers for the visually impaired a lot of organizations where they actually do these trainings on sign language because if they have an employee in their in their team who is hearing impaired you will learn how to communicate with them using sign language so that is again something uh, you know which is picking up and we have seen some basic hygiene checks that happen in most public buildings now for example braille on lift buttons in buildings ramps for the physically disabled in fact a lot of restaurants i've noticed now have become extremely cognizant of making sure that they have ramps so that if somebody has a disability they should still be able to come in and have a meal there uh, gender neutral washrooms again are something which are coming up as well so i mean these are some things which i think if i were to just sort of summarize it all in my mind are sort of moving in the right direction and like i said there's always more work that we have to do but i just feel like people are becoming aware of these things and becoming sensitive to these these trends that we need to sort of think about if we want to foster diversity and inclusion there is there is a lot of work that is that is happening and there is a general awareness that's also coming in right and um, you're right when you when you mentioned the pronouns piece and i remember changing you know on linkedin changing my name and adding pronouns along with it and i had an ex colleague reach out to me and say hey why have you added pronouns to your name is it because people confuse your name to be a guy's name which to be honest was also the case because you know my name is a slightly more masculine name and you know i have i've had a lot of people write to me as mr lochan and all of those things but um, it just you know lack of knowledge or awareness of why pronouns are being added in today's day and age was also surprising so that really make makes me wonder that when we talk about you know specifically on the on the gender neutrality side or or you know the different gender identity i think we still some you know distance away right like while people have kind of started to understand okay there is homosexuality uh, there are gays and lesbians and you know in the whole lgbtqi plus segment i think till lg they are like yeah okay i think we think we know and we've broached the subject in movies and in other things and therefore we're fine but the minute we start moving beyond it is where people are not able to kind of place themselves or place the others and know how to handle that or even put that in especially given you know we're pretty much at like the last day of the pride month but this is something that you see like a rainbow washing also happening everywhere and and all billboards have changed to rainbows whether people know what pride means or don't know what pride means but they're still all part of it so how much of the work that you're seeing is i would say still a checkbox and how much of it is being intentionally done and are there categories of organizations that are doing that for example mncs are they the ones who are doing it more because somewhere if they are us or uh, native organizations and having centers in different countries then us has always been slightly more openly advocating you know the the pride community space versus if you're an indian community going becoming a multinational so is there a difference that you're noticing is that a difference that you're seeing where is this moving ahead and where is this not and how much is the india inc or cooperating really ready for it is is my question you know um, your question lochan actually reminds me of this conversation i was having with a friend of mine who's an openly gay man and uh, you know we were having this conversation where i i walked up to him and said oh you know 
the Pride Month's coming up and is, is your organization doing something about it? And he said something which has always resonated with me for a very long time. That um, I think firstly, today, there are these labels that we have for whichever gender, whichever orientation that I identify with. I could be identified as a cisgender female or a heterosexual female. You know, that's a label. Uh, somebody who's identifying themselves as an openly gay man, uh, you know, or talking about the fact that I still remember that day is the day I came out to my parents. You know, so for me, the first thing before I even get to your question is that I'm somebody who feels that I, I really hope that we come to a, come to a point in in you know in this world where we're not talking about a women's month or a, a pride month or a mental health awareness month because you should naturally feel inclined to doing all of those things that you would do only in that one month. It should it should just be such a natural part of your thought process, such a natural part of your life that it doesn't feel any different. That, uh, you know, I wish there is a day when nobody needs to openly come out as a gay man or a lesbian woman or a bisexual or any other sexual orientation that we have. It just becomes the new normal where everybody is accepted without them having to openly come and say anything at all. Right. And and to that point, I think there are two parts to where are we with organizations and how accepting they are. I think a lot of organizations in India, which are Indian MNCs, are woke enough today to understand that there are all of these things that are happening in the world and that we no longer can ignore it within our organizations. But where they might be struggling a little bit is just understanding how do they execute that vision. They might have a vision, they might be struggling with it, or there could be organizations which are extremely intentional and execution heavy, and so they know exactly how they want to do all of these things. Two, of course, there are organizations which only do it as optical things. So, for example, they'll order rainbow cupcakes in Pride Month. Or, uh, you know, you'll, you'll give uh, roses to women on Women's Day. In my mind, some of these things also feel, for lack of a better word, very sexist, right? Just because I'm a woman, would I like rose, roses? I could be allergic to it, right? I have, by the way, sat in conversations in organizations where they have talked about giving spa vouchers to a woman candidate to attract top talent. And my first question, I, I stood up and I said, just because she is a woman, do you think that she likes going to a spa? And she might like reading a book or she might just like going on a bike ride for all, you know, for, for all we know. But we put every single human being, irrespective of where they come from, into these buckets. And so the problem is, that nobody, including and this same friend of mine who's an openly gay man, told me, you know, as a gay man, I totally don't understand the entire queer spectrum. There are things in the queer community which are beyond my sort of, uh, you know, understanding as well, because everybody is trying to make sense of things, whether you are straight, whether you come from a different uh, orientation. Organizations, I think there are two, three things that they really must do. I think because DEI is something which is spoken about very widely today, there are experts out there in the industry. And if you're really, really intentional, then you would go hire one of those experts and bring them into your organization and start bringing in those changes that you think positively impacts everybody coming into work and being able to show their authentic self and not having to closet themselves. I, I could be a extremely outspoken woman outside of work, for example. It doesn't necessarily have to be underrepresented communities. It could be somebody who's extremely shy at work just because of their experiences. Maybe they're not heard the way they'd like to be, or maybe they don't really have a voice on the table. They're not valued enough for their contributions. And so I could just be a very quiet person at work. But if you were to meet me outside of you know my office hours, I'm probably somebody who's extremely outspoken and fun to be around. So I think as organizations, we're certainly not there yet. Most organizations, irrespective of whether they're international MNCs, whether they're Indian MNCs, I think the only difference is what do you do about that? That knowledge that you've gained of the DEI space, do you just take it all in and then just let it sit there? Or do you take it in and say, no, I can actually go and make a change out there in the world with my policies, with the kind of people I hire, or even who who I am as a human being on a personal level, right? Uh, I mean, that's that's really where the change has to start. So I won't say that we're not there at all. 
I always believe no matter what the space is, there's always hope to improve ourselves and do better. But I would say that there's a very clear difference between organizations who want to do it intentionally, uh, the ones who want to do it but probably don't have the means to. And then, of course, there are the ones who don't really care about it at all. And I think, again, it, I just come back to the same submission that all kinds make the world. It's like all kinds of organizations make the world as well. This brings me to a question and that's popped in my mind that a lot of companies say that a lot of people also end up saying that I don't discriminate. We don't discriminate, right? And therefore, we're inclusive, right? So a lot of people may say that, look, I don't care what your sexual orientation is or what your, your gender identity is, as long as you are someone who's coming in, you're meeting the merit, right? And I've had debates with some of my colleagues on why affirmative actions are needed or not needed and so on. And I think for the first time as a woman, I was told why affirmative action for women is important, where I said, no, you know, we should all be at the same level and we should be competing. And they said, so, you know, the chances of having meritorious women at a certain level are so small that you will naturally have a man outweigh a woman in a regular competition because the pool size is so small. So you have to take affirmative actions at certain places. So does being, and therefore that that always pops as a question, right? So I feel I am non-discriminatory as a person or as an organization. Does that make me inclusive, right? Or do I need to do something to be inclusive? Do I have to take those affirmative actions and or policies or something? So. How do you think about this? I think that's a great question. And again, I think there are two parts to it. I could be somebody who subscribed to a certain thought process and I'm nobody to judge because that does not impact me. Where it becomes alarming is when what you think is something that you're also bringing into work. For example, I might be somebody who may not always be, and it could be like an unconscious bias. I may not be respectful or I could be dismissive of women when I'm speaking to them without even realizing I'm doing it. Uh, maybe I'm used to doing that with, let's say, my wife or with my mother. But when I come into work, I'm also doing the same thing to a fellow colleague. And so why I also am a big, is a, I'm a big believer of affirmative action is I'm, a lot of times I feel people are not doing it intentionally. They don't realize that uh, they can say certain things which could hurt the other person. You know, I, I had this colleague tell me the other day that she walked into a meeting and there were two women and four men. And the two women were really struggling to make their voice heard because these four, four men were very animatedly having a discussion. And it was almost like they didn't realize there are these two women sitting in the uh, in the room. But when they actually said, look, I also have a point of view and I want to mention it, everybody come down and said, let's hear what they have to say. And when I asked this colleague, did you feel discriminated? Did you feel differentiated? And she said, you know what, Manali, I don't even think they realize what they were doing. So there are people who are extremely self-aware of their thought processes, their philosophies in life. And that's where I think uh, more work needs to be done. For example, unconscious biases Sometimes I find are slightly easier to fix because if you tell the person, this is how you said some things and it made me feel a certain way, nine out of 10 times, they'll come back and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't even realize I was saying right? And so it's easy to fix that. But when you're consciously biased, that's when it becomes a problem for any organization. So every time I do an I Am Remarkable workshop, I always say it's open to everybody. I, I don't go by the uh, the underlying cause saying it's only underrepresented groups because I think everybody could do with some self-affirmation and some sort of, you know, and, and Asians as a culture, culturally, we are not somebody who likes to celebrate our achievements. So if there is a mechanism out there which empowers you to do so, I would do that for everybody across the spectrum. I don't care whether you're male, female, what is the community that you come from. But the idea at the end of the day is these conscious biases are the one which lead to us thinking about affirmative actions. And I'm not saying unconscious biases are uh, are always easy to fix, 
but a lot of times i feel they're easy to fix because people don't even know that they are behaving a certain and when you point it out to them or when you tell them that that's something that you've said or done which you know which was not right which was not correct etc they they tend to at least most of them will tend to kind of correct themselves or check themselves the next time that they're saying something so especially when it comes to you know talent management as a space right whether we like it or not we always say it's always performance driven right but um i think there is always an element of perception which is also a, plays a big role now it could be correct perception incorrect it can be whatever but there is some perception that somebody forms and that also has an impact on how you get rated how you get promoted how you get your opportunities because at the end of the day we are not just an outcome of okay i've given you this task have you done it and have you completed it i think that's only at a certain level or a certain kind of work and we've all moved beyond those kinds of work etc so when it comes to things like these right where you for whatever reason are part of an underrepresented community i have faced two diff- i mean i've seen two different kind of conversations conversation number 1 has been oh you know what she's a woman and i'm just taking woman as an example but you know she's a woman and uh, we you know if we don't promote her then it will look like we are being biased towards uh, you know biased against her and therefore we should promote her the second kind of conversations that i've heard is where they say oh you know what she's a woman she's just got married let's give her lesser let's not promote her right now because you know she will have like tons of other new responsibilities to take care of and we shouldn't be adding to it right now somewhere both are coming from you know both cause equal harm either to the system or to the individual right so when it comes to talent management when it comes to managing performance when it comes to looking at team and their development what are some of the things that you feel that managers or people who are dealing with all sorts of talent pool and if there are underrepresented talent groups and it could be people with different backgrounds it could also be cis males who are probably let's say coming from a non pedigree backgrounds or you know non engineering whatever it may be right like they probably end up being the minority have you seen some kind of these kind of conversations and how have you navigated them and what kind of systems or guardrails can organizations put to ensure this doesn't happen i have seen them happening for sure it's happened to me i have seen it happen to other fellow colleagues uh one of the places where i have seen a lot of bias creeping in a lot of times is uh returnship programs uh where you have women coming back from a career break and uh, i am somebody who has always pushed back when we are working with these working committees to tell them that you have to think of structures which sets them up for success you know uh, you have to be sensitive to the fact that they are coming back into work after a long career break for whatever reason i mean there's another perception by the way that happens women from career breaks only come back if they've just come out of maternity uh, they were raising a child or they just got married nobody thinks about various other reasons it could be that it was a voluntary sabbatical that they decided to take for 2 years uh, it could be that they had to take care of let's say an aging parent right but we we automatically assume that if a woman is coming back from a career break then it is probably one or two of these reasons and nothing else right that's where you start fighting the perception that's where you start fighting the bias and i for one i am a big advocate of sensitization trainings i truly believe in them i have seen organizations that deliver them very very effectively and in a way that you are not just sitting in a classroom setup but you are also going through certain role playing exercises and activities during the training program that forces you to do some amount of self reflection am i thinking in a certain i have walked out from training programs where i didn't even realize that i had a certain bias or there were certain ways that i was thinking about something and those training programs helped me actually get past those biases and start thinking about these things differently i think sensitization trainings most organizations have now started taking up because like i said earlier diversity today is an umbrella term it's not just women but so many underrepresented groups that do get hired into our corporate spaces they do think of how they can bring in that inclusivity whether that is by sensitizing managers i have personally 
help run sensitization training programs for our managers who were hiring people with disabilities. And I remember the person who was partnering with me in that was extremely offended with some of the questions that these managers were asking. And I had to actually tell her that they are not being disrespectful. They're just They're not being aware, right? Yeah. They don't know. And because they don't know, they feel like this is a safe space where they can ask these questions. And I, I would much rather have you ask me that question and fight the bias versus not asking because you're, you're worried that somebody else will judge me. And then you don't bring that up at all. And it just sort of continues to fester in your mind and you never get rid of that bias. So for me, organizations have to make sure that they're constantly running these education programs. The only way that you can change thought processes are through some of these structural training programs, through constantly having these conversations. Sometimes it could be something as simple as a fireside chat with an industry expert. For example, as much as I would say we, we shouldn't be celebrating Women's Day or we shouldn't be celebrating Pride Month, I would still want somebody to come in and raise awareness about their lives in that space with a whole bunch of people who don't come from that community. That helps you, for example, sometimes it's just that I've organized storytelling sessions, which is about nothing but you coming in and hearing our industry experts talk and nothing else. There's no education. There's no, you know, big philosophies being, you know, imparted in those conversations. It's just about understanding what the other person goes through. There was another program that we used to run where we would encourage women to come and tell us their story in 15 minutes. And it would be a conversational structure where it could be just to any two women in the organization. It was not nomination based. It was just somebody who felt like I need to go out there and share my story today. Right. Creating that safe space. Creating that safe space is super important because only when you create that space can people openly talk about their biases. People can openly talk about their judgments. And as organizations, we have to come a very long way in creating that safe space. Because in the comforts of your home, you're still able to do it. But when you come into the corporate space, you're so worried about being judged. You're so worried about what is the other person going to think about me? Um, I look up to somebody, but if I ask them this question, you know, they may not like it or they may feel offended. Creating that safe space as organizations is something which is very, very critical. Number two, we, we should continue to do these sensitization trainings, which are constantly calling out these biases, which are constantly talking about how you fight these biases and get past that. And three is we have to very consciously think of empowerment programs. You know, as much as we would not like to have them, till the time that the world gets to a point where we will no longer need these kind of empowerment programs, we certainly need to think about how we build very conscious structures around it and help anybody who comes into, uh, let's say, our workspace or even anybody who's a part of our personal life be able to come and talk openly about their lives and, you know, what they go through or how they feel about a certain discrimination. Absolutely. And I think the whole idea around just sensitizing people, I think that's very critical. And like I said, you know, it's you may think you're not discriminatory, but you may not even understand what the other person is going through, has gone through, is feeling. And as a result, you may end up saying, doing, behaving in a certain way which could be hurtful, which could be offensive, which could be so. So it's, it's actually important to become more aware of what you should, what you should and shouldn't. And it's not about curtailing what you can and cannot say, but it's more about recognizing that, you know, what is okay and, and at what point is it okay or not okay? Like I do have a lot of, you know, gay friends who would suddenly turn around and say, oh my God, that's so gay. Why are you doing that? I said, and I would look at them and say, you know, you can't make that statement. And they'd be like, no, it's absolutely okay. I can make this. But the comfort and for what they're saying it, how they're saying it, it's very different. So the context also starts to matter. And it's important that managers or even individuals, colleagues start to recognize what's okay, what's not okay. And at some point when the boundaries, uh, you know, friendship and and professional boundaries start to blur a little bit, then you do take a little liberties and you're okay. With that, I just wanted to, you know, ask you, when we think about underrepresented talent and you spoke about um, remarkable trainings that you do, how do you support, you know, the non-traditional talent? And I I'd like to call them non-traditional as a general lens, right? And they could be non-traditional being 
non-traditional in terms of education, in terms of background, in terms of language comfort also in certain cases. Then the next levels become people with disabilities, uh, gender identities, and, and so on. So just the non-traditional away from the, the typical lens that we look at it with. So how do you support them? And uh, what are the different things that you do personally and professionally to encourage and equip them? You know, um, most importantly, I try to create a safe space for them. You know, they should be able to come and talk to you about your, you know, their apprehensions, their failures, their victories, something that made them uncomfortable, whether it was in their personal lives or in their professional lives. But just being able to give them that space where they know that they're not going to be judged. And, uh, you know, just that space where they can openly talk about, most importantly, their apprehensions. Because a lot of times, people who come from extremely non-traditional backgrounds are also very apprehensive of the roles that come their way. Because they tend to think that this is not my education, this is not what I've done so far, why should I take this up? Is this worth the risk at all? So just being able to give them that safe space, being able to provide that emotional support, uh, you know, where... You just play the part of somebody who's just listening first. Because usually what happens is when somebody comes to you, our first instinct is to start bombarding them with advice and suggestions because a lot of times you feel like I've been there, I've done that, and I have so much to tell this person. Uh, Once you've listened to them, then you can certainly offer some advice to them on how they want to do things in a certain way. I have colleagues today who are going through layoffs, and I make sure that I keep in touch with them. I'm always on the lookout for roles that I feel they would be a good fit for. But at the end of the day, it's their freedom to choose whether or not they want to go down that path. I, in fact, I have a friend who's also always been in the program management space. And uh, she's on the lookout for a job. And I came across this fantastic role for her, which was in the DEI space. And you know, her first thought was, I've never done this. And so I was telling her, none of us have done this. We've all learned the DEI space through our own personal experiences of having done some of it today in the corporate space. But when we all started out, all our experiences, all these shared experiences that you and I have, for example, are just from being in the corporate setup, from experiences that we've had in life. And that has taught us how to navigate the space today professionally as well. So it's very critical to help them build a plan. Right. Uh, You know, uh, setting up some clear uh, goals. Why are you making this decision? Uh, Do you have a mentor who you can, uh, you know, reach out to who's probably in the same space that you want to go into? Uh, You know, other tools like uh, have you helped them build the right kind of network? Like I cannot stress enough the importance of networking. Uh, If you have a great network and somebody is reaching out to you for that support, You must look into your network to see if there are people that you can connect this person to uh, who can help them give that confidence on any change in career that they want to make or whether they are moving into a role that they are not completely comfortable with because they've not done it in the past. Uh, Networking goes a long way in a lot of times, I feel, just putting those apprehensions to rest because the moment you speak with somebody who's coming from the same field, There is a sense of solidarity you feel. It's like how sometimes we say misery loves company, but there is that sense of solidarity that you feel because they might have gone through the same kind of challenges that you are potentially about to go through. And that feeling that I'm not alone, you know, I'm not the only one who's feeling this. I think that itself gives you a lot more strength and boost to say, okay, if someone else has done it, maybe I can also kind of pull through this. Yeah, exactly. Especially if the story ends happy, it has a happy yeah, ending, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Especially if it has a happy, I mean, who doesn't love happy endings? We all do. So if you come across a person like that, it just automatically boosts your, con- uh, you know, uh, confidence. I think as organizations though, one of the first things you have to do is set them up as uh, for success, whether that's creating a very clear sort of line of sight on what their role is going to look like, whether it's an onboarding buddy or connecting them to somebody, even fellow career transitioners within the organization, let's say, who've gone through the same thing. But just again, like I said, just helping them build that support system, uh, I think whether that's on a personal level or whether that's on a professional level is is very, very important. So yeah, I would say that just summarizing, these are a few things that really helps in helping with, helping non-traditional talent cope with what they're about to become. Right. So um, in your experience, right, there is, there is, of course, a lot of work that's happening in the ecosystem. But 
what do you feel is needed or is lacking today in this ecosystem from a from supporting the non traditional talent because we still hear a lot of people not getting the right opportunities because they don't have you know the xyz degree or even though they have worked in that space they they don't have that xyz degree or they've taken a career break or they are women or they you know need certain flex like multiple structures etc that's that's interrupts their career so what do you feel is needed more in this ecosystem which you know will only enhance or take it up from where it is today and and kind of strengthen this space more i think most importantly we have to get past our unconscious or conscious biases it's very easy to judge somebody because of the background that they come from without really understanding what is the story or the context behind it so whether it is you as a person or whether it is you as an organization it is very important to identify what are those biases and how do you move past those biases to build strong programs for let's say women who are coming back from a career break do i give them a program um, which is slightly easier for them to settle into versus do i throw them at the deep end of the ocean and tell them you now have to learn how to swim i am somebody who believes that if you are for example getting women back from a career break the most important thing is to give them the first 90 days to just settle in don't give them any work let them go network out there let them go build some relationships help them find some mentors who are going to help them through this journey identify what are their strengths even as a manager you need the space and you need the time to identify what are those strengths but in organizations which are fast paced which most organizations are today we don't take the time to really assess what these people need when they come into the organization we are so quick to just assign goals to them we are so quick to assign fancy looking onboarding plans and telling them this is what you need to do in 30 60 or 90 days and i am a big believer of onboarding plans but not if they are just optically there to make you look like you're settling in but you don't feel settled in even after 3 or 4 months in the organization so the most important thing i think for organizations is to take that step back to understand how do we set up these people for success uh build uh some structured mechanisms around it whether that's training programs that they should undergo let's say in the first one month to having regular check-ins with them and not by hr but by you as a manager taking the time to sit down with them to understand how are they feeling what are they feeling uh you know we say there's no space for a lot of times emotions in corporate setups but that's not true because we all have our emotions and you can't just do away with it and you know lock it up in a cupboard and come into work every day you do you do bring that in with you it's different how you choose to show that in front of other people but we all come with our baggages and we all come with our emotions and i think it's high time we start accepting that that's okay that it's okay for me uh, to be a certain way it's okay for somebody to say look i am having a really bad day today so i'm not going to log in and i shouldn't have to give any more explanation than that uh, for my manager to say that okay take all the time that you need and the work is still going to be sure when we come back so try and take that time to understand the person a little better because the moment you have that context everything else becomes easier and you're also helping them build loyalty towards the organization because this is the organization that made them feel at home from the time that they joined the organization so they don't feel like this was a bad decision on my part i shouldn't have come here and done it that's one thing i think is most lacking in almost all organizations and i'm just not talking about women with career breaks but just anybody who's coming into atypical roles in organizations and as an organization i think we owe it to them to set them up for success if you are not doing that then it is definitely something which is of a bigger failure for us than it is for the person who's coming into these roles because they will just leave and find another organization is more supportive of their aspirations but as an organization i would have lost a talent which i could have actually decided to groom very well and could have been a potential long term hire for me absolutely fantastic thank you thanks for sharing these uh before we last question before we kind of close this anything that you would want to share with our listeners anything based on what we've discussed so far your experience and how maybe they should look at their careers as well as uh, especially if they are coming from the non traditional talent space as well as individuals who are working with such talent what should they be looking at so any thoughts there i think uh, most importantly uh 
you should first look within to understand why you want to do that career change. And even if you don't have an answer, don't get scared and walk away from it. You know, keep at it for some time. Try to analyze what are those things that are prompting prompting you to even think about it in the first place. So definitely don't shy away from that. For example, if I have to make a big decision, I will usually make a list of pros and cons. I'll sometimes probably even journal more than uh, the usual uh, to clear my head. But uh, don't shy away from taking bold decisions. Definitely look at uh, moving into uncomfortable spaces because I truly believe that if you don't explore those uncomfortable spaces, you stop growing, whether that's professionally or personally. If you don't push those boundaries, uh, you will never learn what you're capable of doing beyond what you're doing already. So continue to push yourself uh, beyond what you think you can do and achieve because I think it definitely uh, helps more than anything else. I think it helps evolve helps you evolve as a human being. And the moment that happens, there's so many other things that you realize you're capable of doing. Right? Uh, the other thing is, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. A lot of times we shy away from asking for help because we feel like I'm going to be judged for it because I this was my decision. I decided to go ahead and take it. Now, how do I go and talk to somebody who probably the first time told me that this is not a great decision? But it's still one of my biggest advocates, but I'm afraid to ask them for that help. And that help could come in any in many different ways, right? It could be a mentor, it could be a fantastic manager that you have at work, a friend, a support group, even your spouse for that matter. Uh, right? I have a spouse who comes from a completely different, uh, you know, uh, professional uh, setup. But he's always my first call every time I feel like I'm stuck because I just feel like even if you're not in the same setup, He's the one person who's been my biggest cheerleader in all of this. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And yeah, like I said, that leap of faith, you never know where it could, you know, take you. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Manali. Thank you for this. And love the conversation. Loved, you know, the whole part about how we can become more aware of our own unconscious biases. And I think it all starts with a little more determination to say that, you know, want to know more about this, right? And not just close ourselves to it and say, I don't know, and therefore I don't want to know. And that's amazing. And we just need to create more awareness, talk about it a bit more. And with first comes acknowledgement, then comes acceptance. So thank you so much for bringing that in. And it was amazing talking to you. And thank you once again for taking time out and being here. Career Uninterrupted podcast is brought to you by Off Experience, a pioneering platform that equips and enables mid-career professionals to thrive through career transitions across life stages. 